They're set. And away. Hugo drops lightly at the start. Not so Clem. He powered off the blocks. Esposito quickly away as well. Esposito still up in the water. Hugo is up and striking. So too Clem. Hugo coming through in the centre. A chance for two medals for Australia. Clem is out by that half body length and holding. It's going to be Michael Clem. Another gold medal. I talked about a cult status. In he goes. Michael Clem. Decisively. Magnificent victory. Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett, and I've just finished a really wonderful conversation with a longtime friend and one of Australia's greatest ever Olympians, Michael Klim. We discuss his career as as an athlete, his transition out of the sport, also his health and living in Bali and what he's up to now. It's just so much knowledge, so much entertainment and, and some real inspiration in this one. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did, but a little bit before we go on, I want to thank you all for listening. I truly appreciate that. If you are enjoying the show, I'd love you to share it. Help getting the word out is making this show really grow, so I do appreciate it. And one final thing, I know I can't ask uh, my guests every question. Uh, (laughs) I do the best I can, and I'm sure you probably do have some follow-up questions. So if you want to go to the app, Any Question, you can get that on iOS or Android, or you can use anyquestion.com forward slash Michael Klim. That's anyquestion.com forward slash Michael Klim. Go check it out. You can go ask Michael any follow-up questions you might have. You can look at answers that other people have asked him. And it's just a fabulous app. So go check it out. I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. And remember, success comes to those who endure one moment longer. All right, I'm joined by one of the greatest swimmers in history, an icon of Australian sport. He's a three-time Olympian, multiple world champion, and 21 times he's broken a world record. He was the greatest relay swimmer I think the world's ever seen. He, he lifted for his team like no other. He would break world records to lead out I don't know how many times. It was just phenomenal to watch. A brief resume is just absolutely remarkable. Listen to this. Six Olympic medals, two of them gold. 25 world championship medals, 12 of them gold, 54 medals at major competitions. So you think Commonwealth Games, World Championships, Olympics, 25 of those are gold, 19 silver, 10 bronze. It's absolutely blows my mind. <laughs> anyway, he transitioned from sport to business in 2008 and his pursuit of excellence didn't stop. His businesses have all been just absolutely extraordinary. And to top all of that, he's a father of three and just one of the most down-to-earth men you could ever ever meet. It's a pleasure and honor to have him chat with me today. So welcome and thank you for joining me on the Greg Bennett Show. How are you, Michael Klim? <laughs> <laughs> thanks, for, for, thanks for the info, mate. And thanks for the stats, actually. I've never had anyone summarize my uh, my medals as well as you have. So I, uh, it's, uh, it's nice to be patted on the back at 7.30 in the morning here in Bali. So it's, uh, uh, you know, like I, I feel good about myself. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad you do because I, I am a huge fan. I'm a bit of a groupie and um, I wouldn't let up, would I, on getting you onto this podcast? I've been so excited. I'm like, you're like, oh, maybe. And I'm like, yep, yep. I just keep asking and asking and finally I got you. So I appreciate well, it, Well, you mate. know what? I think, you know, I, we we go back. I mean, maybe you should give the listeners a bit of background, you know, yeah. obviously when 
when I was getting ready for Sydney and, and obviously your career with, you know, getting ready for, mm-hmm. for you know, for, for your pursuits and, and, the, and the triathlon team, we crossed a lot of, a lot of parts. We so, did. We did. You know, we always kept I, meeting yeah. each other at random, <laughs> random pools around the world. I think, I think we first exactly. met, I was going to say at Threbo, which is up in the snowy yeah. mountains of Australia. Yeah, right. You were doing a camp with, uh, uh, Alex Gennady. Popov and Gennady Turetsky and, and Matty Dunn. Yeah. I remember, okay, here's a story for you. I remember you guys were doing your work and we were the Australian triathlon team. We were doing our, our swim and, and, uh, yeah. and I went down to the change rooms and you guys are all getting changed. And I walk in and Matty Dunn says, you know, g'day Greg. And I was like, oh, I knew my name. That's pretty cool. And then Popov comes out and he's like, Go Greg or whatever. And I can't, that was a very poor Russian, wasn't it? Anyway, and, and I was like, wow, pop off new man. And then you came out and go, hey, good day, Greg. I was like, what? And and I think I think you guys had been watching like the the triathlon Grand Prix on the weekends yeah, or something, yeah, and so you yeah, knew yeah. All, you knew my name from that. And I I yeah. just thought I'd made yeah. it. I thought that to be recognised by the guys who are the greatest swimmers in the world. I was like, oh, that was special. Oh, man, it's, <laughs> look, that. Uh, Threadbow has this kind of mixed mixed emotions for me because it, I love the place, but we got punished <laughs> whenever <laughs> whenever we were there. That pool, uh, that yeah. I, every, whenever I go back to Threadbow, I, I really drive past the pool really quickly <laughs> and I don't stop. So, um, but uh, yeah, no, we, yeah, we did. We shared a lot of uh, a lot of those times in the lead up to you yeah, know Sydney. Sydney and, yeah, you know, we used to jump in after you guys or beforehand, whatever. So yeah, it was that uh, we. I was I was in awe of what you could do, you know, in the pool, then on the bike, and then bloody run as well. So, um, yeah, no, no, it was, right uh, back it was at you. We, we used to all finish our workouts and then sit up and just watch you guys. There used to be a glass window. We'd all sit and just watch you guys and just be like, "Wow, look at what they just." Break a minute or whatever for kicking or something. I remember you guys were, you know, like you could do extraordinary things. I also remember here's a side story. Do you remember? We were at the AIS in Canberra. I was doing a camp yeah. with one other guy, uh, Trent yeah. Chapman, and you were you were suddenly there was an announcement that Michael Klim's going to go break the world record in the short course pool. I think it was the oh, yeah, hundred yeah, fly, yeah, yeah. and Fina yeah. representatives there. Do you want to go over and watch it? I was like, oh yeah. So a bunch of us won't go over. It was probably about ten of us. <laughs> there you are on the blocks, all the Fina people yeah. standing around with all the work, and boom, you break a world record. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, I remember because what happened was I've just got back from uh, altitude training and flag stuff and, and I, I felt pretty, I felt at a really good camp and I, and I, um, I just went to San Antonio and raced there and then I, I thought I was swimming really quick and, and I thought oh, I was hoping to break it in San Antonio, but it didn't happen. But so literally I, got off the plane and you know when as you know with without your training you get that initial mm. you know benefit when you get off the plane within the first three days and then off you know the, the, that altitude kind of boost and then three weeks later and i'm thinking oh, i'm not going to wait three weeks so we we just um yeah we all there was a competition on that weekend i swam i didn't quite i just missed it and then uh I organized a time trial for meet and yeah, there was a couple of rowers that came down from the dining hall yeah. and a couple and you guys. And, and I remember, I remember it's probably the least witnessed world record in, in history. It, so, it, it was uh, like a golf clap at the end. We were all like, it was like, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, what? It, it proves it, it kind of like, it proves that you can, you don't, I mean, a great crowd is you yeah. know, amazing, yeah. but it's really, it happens. 
it's up to you. You can do it in any environment, in yeah. you know, any situation, jet lag, no jet lag, you know, like people complain about, you know, the, the wrong preparation. It's all just, you know, like I think it's up to the individual, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's what that's one thing that Gennady taught me because even with my my first word record experience, where there was a full start, they missed the they, uh, the full uh, the full start rope didn't drop at fifteen meters, and they didn't they didn't drop it at the thirty five meter mark either. I so that. we actually we actually swam sixty five meters when until they stopped us. So <laughs> and then they gave us twenty minutes to this is the world championship trials ninety seven. Uh, twenty minutes later, you know, up on the block, and you know, I managed to break a world record. So you don't need that perfect preparation, which a lot of the athletes think I need everything to line up perfectly to, for it to happen. And it, and that's not necessarily true. Well, I don't know on that. <laughs> I kind of feel like for the rest of us, everything might have to line up to do anything. <laughs> Maybe for a few of you that are out there that can go, yeah, I can just drop it. But I don't know that, that for me, I just, when I was thinking back of stories, I wanted to share those were a couple of really special ones. And where, where are you at the moment? I I'm, remember I'm, that day. <laughs> you're in Bali, right? At the moment? Where are you? Yeah, I'm in Bali at the moment. Um, I've been sort of living between Bali and Australia for the last, well, since nearly 10 years. May will be 10 years. So um, my ex-wife lives here and my, I've got, we've got three, we share three kids and, um, yeah, well, they're with me at the moment. Where you would not believe it, unfortunately, um, Bali announced that the schools go went to online learning this week. Oh. So... Where um, where they, they should be starting, they should be starting their classes in about twenty five minutes. But I don't see much action <laughs> behind me. But uh, yeah, so I've got three kids. I've got a ten year old, a thirteen year old, and a fifth, and a sixteen year old. Wow. She just turned sixteen. So yeah, life is uh, yeah. And I've obviously just uh, just started my first Klim swim swim school here in Bali, which probably a long time coming. But I'm really sort of uh, excited about. I guess I've had over 20 years of experience with, with learn to swim and water safety and, um, and this community kind of really needed it. It's, it's got a really poor record of, of water safety and also drownings. And, um, and there's also a bunch of local athletes that haven't had exposure to, you know, elite training and, and, and there's got a really strong expat community that mm. loves swimming and, and, um, yeah, so I, um, I, I made sort of, uh, you know, made a promise to myself that I'm going to try and make this happen and join partnership with uh, with a place called Finns Recreational Club and um, got a great facility. So yeah, five months into it and it's uh, yeah, Bali Bali's great. Look, it suits me. I've had a interesting couple of years and sort mm. of just wanted to prioritize being around the family and my health and my partner who's, you know, has been so supportive with everything. So, um, yeah, so Bali, Bali is great, you know, for, um, for, for most of Aussies that have been here, they, they come here on holidays and they wish they can, you know, everyone says I'm going to move here, but it's actually doable. It's a, yeah. you know, it's a doable lifestyle. No, I remember my father-in-law saying, you know, live where everybody else wants to holiday and, and find out yeah. how you can make that work, you know, and I get that, it, you know, it, it, yeah, it's like we're, we're down in South Florida here with that same kind of mindset. It's like, yeah, mm. well, where do people come for their two weeks vacation each year? Well, okay, well, let's hang out there. But Bali, are you a surfer? Do you get, are you close to the waves? Yeah, definitely. Some of the best yeah, waves definitely. ever. I, yeah, look, 
uh, I had I was probably you know I started surf lifesaving in Victoria when like in mm. I was down and I was down at Torquay Surf Club and so I was probably a, I'm a Polish migrant I arrived in Australia when I was 11 so I didn't really get to the surf and get into surfing or surf lifesaving until about probably 14 15 so actually Grant Hackett introduced me into surfing more than anyone else because I used to go and spend an occasional couple of weeks with with him and getting flogged by Dennis Cottrell up at <laughs> yeah. uh, up at the uh, up at Miami. I've heard pool. the stories. My goodness! Oh my god! So <laughs> anyway, so then on, on days off, we'd go and uh, you know, Hacky would try and teach me how to surf, and then yeah, moving here, if you, it's it's definitely obviously it's a massive surfing culture. I mean, within the island, there's over 250 breaks that are good breaks, you yeah. know. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, I've had some health issues and, and, and I haven't been able to surf properly in the last two years. But, um, you know, hope, hoping to get back into it. And, uh, yeah, my, my daughter surfs and, um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely like just a, as you know, like you've swum in open water. Mm. I'm also uh, involved with the World Series swims and, for me, I turned to open water after swimming in, in the pool because it's just that that feeling of being out there in the open, the salt water, the sun, you so know, it, it just there's something about it. So surfing surfing did the, the same thing for me as well. You know, it's that, that salt water training. I was never a pool swimmer, as you could probably tell by looking at the way I swam. But, <laughs> I, you know, I grew up training with uh, Craig Riddington and Guy Leach down yeah. at Manly Beach, yeah. and it was all ins yeah. and outs in the surf and power swimming, and it was like uh, mm. that, that's what I mm. loved, you know, and then yeah. you'd have to go yeah. to swim squad or have to go. I mean, you wanted to go, but, you know, you went to swim squad in the pools and then I never swam well in a pool my times never translated yeah. from pool to open water I just yeah, way preferred yeah. it well, to, to be honest I was never I was never very good in the open no honestly I I am um, you know I, I thought I'd, I was lucky enough to win the Peter pub once and that's my only claim to fame <laughs> in open water but um, yeah but you're up of, against guys like Grant Hackett and Ian Thorpe yeah. and I mean geez I mean it's not like you're going up against weak guys and look, and my uh, my excuse was always that um, you know I used to swim for less than fifty seconds, and yeah. a lot of these ocean ocean swims were at least you know two k, three k, etc. So no. that was um, that was my excuse. But no, it's uh, it is a different discipline, and I, actually, I'm I'm enjoying watching the, the say the ten k now at the Olympics. It's mm. it's become a a real focus and I think it's got that cycling mentality where you you know there's almost a team kind of environment yeah. where you're trying to get your your best guy in the best position with you know to to do that final I had, final I had um, our friend Kai Hurst on about six oh, yeah, months awesome. ago and it was so yeah. cool just to talk about that and I mean, obviously he's involved in a lot of things but the, the tactics of the 10K open water swim race yeah, and he, yeah, exactly. he feels like he screwed that up but, you know, <laughs> it's still fascinating. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he was, I mean, like, he was, he's just a freak. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I raced him and I raced him a few times in open water and I was duck diving next to him and I thought, Hang on, I'm six foot three. I've got a f at least, you know, like a few inches on him, and he's duck diving like five meters more than me oh, every single time. I'm like, how, how's he doing it? Like, I'm like, 
I'm underwater trying to study it while we're racing. I'm like, what the hell? What yeah, did they so do under that? I used to do the same thing with Craig Riddington. We'd be doing ins and outs, and I was reasonable at it. I wasn't terrible. And yeah. I'd dive under the wave, you know, trying to go on my way out, and I'd grab the bottom and push off and, you know, do everything I could. Yeah. And I'd wait yeah. until the white water had gone over me, and I'd pop up, and literally he'd be 10 metres in front. And I'll be like, yeah. what in the world? I could never figure yeah. it out. The guy was yeah. a monster. So he was <laughs> there's definitely freaks in certain sports, you know. You got the Trevor Handys and the yeah. and the yeah. Kai Hursts and you know, so there's uh, there's some guys that just get it on a different level. <laughs> yeah, so so let's talk about that. I mean, we're talking some of the big names of Australian sport, and I apologize to our American and European listeners, but we're we're, we're kind of <laughs> we're talking about some of the Australian big iconic names of, of sport. Trevor Hendy and Kai Hurst were our surf Ironman guys that were just unbelievable athletes. And uh, but you were one of that golden era of Australian swimming that came through with the likes of Grant Hackett and Ian Thorpe. Actually, you were right in the middle there because you were on the back of Kieran Perkins, who was, yeah, you know, the yeah. 1500 metre, and then you brought that that 98, which we'll go into in a moment, that world championship, mm-hmm. into 2000 mm-hmm. Olympics when Thorpe was, was he 17 at 2000 Olympics? He was pretty young, I can't remember what yeah, he was. Yeah, he was 15 and 98, so you were 17 yeah, at the Games, yeah. yeah. But yeah. you were part of that era where... You know, we, yeah. we we talk about when Australia. <laughs> I don't want to be say that we're not there now, and we don't have some great people now. But boy, it was a special time. I mean, do you look back and just go, "Wow, I was part of a really special time in Australian oh, sporting oh, history"? Abs- absolutely, mm. absolutely. You know, I was fortunate enough to, you know, to be a roommate with with <laughs> Kieran Perkins on at the '96 Games and Chris Fadler and yeah. and guys that that guys that had. You know, I guess they, I, I used to look up to, you know, Susie O'Neill and, and yeah, Kieran. Yeah, and then yeah. for, for me and my first ever Olympics at the age of 17 to, to, uh, to, you know, to be in the same room as KP, who I had the cover of his Sports Illustrated after 92 <laughs> framed in my bedroom, you know, was, was just phenomenal. And yeah, and I'm very fortunate that I, you know, there's, let's say you've got your Sam Riley's and Susie and Kieran and, and then obviously, um, you know, then and Thorpey and Hackey and Liesel and Libby and Skippy and Patrice Thomas and the names just keep going. Oh, right? yeah. So there was there was definitely this um, his, I think and Kieran definitely was the one that started it all with, you know, the likes that that rivalry with Glenn Houseman and and Daniel Kowalski. Yeah, and, wasn't that you know that yeah. So you basically, I think there was a clusters of events that brought up this whole you know the the team. And and I must say, Don Talbot was you know he was definitely responsible for that. He created a very a very tough team kind of culture, but it it did you know help us re, with the resurgence. And it was almost it was kind of it was bizarre because I mean, look, I think you know it's, it's Ian Thorpe and Grant Hackett, those those type of swimmers come around once every few hundred years. So <laughs> we were we were we were lucky to. You're in the relays have, with them, are you three. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Adam Kyle yeah, Chambers, so, or Chris uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we were very lucky that those guys were, you know, you know, on on the team. But also, there's there was this kind of mentality where there was no real. There was no team captain. There was no team value, like ethics or team, you know, un, and any rules or anything. I think it, it, a lot of the everyone sort of tried to lead by example. You know, if Kieran Kieran was in the pool, the last one to get out because he was doing a heart rate set, it means you know, like that means 
I want to stay in there too. Yeah. And then same with Thorpey, you know. So there was, there was like, and it wasn't one-upmanship, but it was like everyone was setting the bar higher. higher You're all higher, leaders. So. You were surrounded by leaders. I mean, leaders lead by yeah. example, right? And you just want to be a part of that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So if, you know, like I was racing my best mate and Jeff Hugel and, mm. you know, Skippy and I, we were we, we were training together in the lead up for major races and literally, you know, we would push each other stroke for stroke. So it's, uh, yeah, it was a very special time. And I, it's something that it's, and I've only really in the last probably five years, as you get older, as you know, mm-hmm. Greg, you're only in you know, you're 50, but you look 30, but I know that, <laughs> Thanks, uh, mate. <laughs> as, when we get, when we get older, I think we become more nostalgic and I think you appreciate, you know, what we were part of. And I, that, uh, that period of, you know, having that, it's all, also, it was a fun camaraderie, you know, mm. like we were, it was a lot of it was unwritten and unspoken about, but it was like, you know, we were there to support each other. We were there, you know, like we were in those hell weeks in at altitude or whatever it might be. I think everyone was on the same path. So that then we didn't really have to convince anyone to to train harder. We didn't have to convince anyone to, you know, if someone slept in and missed the alarm clock and we had to do burpees until they arrived, you know, that, that was, that's probably, that, you know, they, <laughs> that's probably the worst ever thing that never happened, but that, that was once in a blue moon, you know? So. Yeah. I mean, you, you've mentioned so many great names there and, and obviously Kieran Perkins with what he did in 96, just making, yeah. he, he, he looked like he was not, he, he was not going to have any chance of anything, scraped into the final from lane eight, you know, and then goes on yeah. to to win the gold yeah. medal from lane eight. That just, I mean, you were rooming with him. Was he Ooh. a little bit in shock, or did you ever? Did he ever? This is what I'm curious about: the mindset of these champions is. Ooh. Did he ever look like he was somebody that was going to win or not going to win? How was he, how was his posture and everything going into that race? And I know this show is about you, but I was always curious about Kim Perkins. No, so this is this. I talk about this. Uh, all the time because that's the thing that fascinate fascinated me. He was looking really bad in the lead up. We were in Atlanta, Georgia, in the, in the lead up to the games, and and basically he kind of he was always kind of a bit heavy and sloppy. I mean, Kieran didn't have the the nicest looking stroke, but you could tell when he wasn't sitting high in the water and he wasn't smooth. He just was, and in that whole taper period when we were. Um, we were there, he was just, um, he had just looked looking laconic and sluggish. And, but the thing that amazed me that his, his, his demeanor and his, and his kind of aura and confidence never changed. Like he, wow. no matter if he had a good session or a bad session, he would walk the same way. His, you know, his approach was always the same. And even after the heats, you know, I, there was probably one switch that I saw after the heats and kind of like, okay, um, now it's time to go. And not it's time to go, but you could see this kind of this level of intensity that, <laughs> that he had sometimes would come through. But I think he almost willed himself to, you know, to, mm. to that race because mm. he knew he had, he had the ability. It's just finding it, finding it out of that bag of, of, of tricks and talent that he had. But it was the thing that amazed me that no, throughout all the, you know, the picks and troughs that he had in that preparation, his personality, his attitude didn't waver. 
Mm. which is, I think it's a really good lesson for, you know, for, you know, for junior athletes or anyone. It was phenomenal. Yeah, just I, trying to ride through that to the, you know, the, trying to ride through the preparation is the key, being patient and even waiting till, waiting until the gun goes for the final. That's mm. when maybe when it comes yeah. and that's what happened with Kieran. It's funny, you know, um, you're on any question, the app that, and a lot of questions are coming in. And one of the questions that was floated out there was, um, you know, what was the greatest swim of all time? And there's quite a few Americans on there, Rowdy Gaines <laughs> and Caleb Dressel and quite a few others. And they're all like, oh, you know, the American team relay in 2008 overcoming the French. And I get on there and I say, well, there's really three events that stood out to me. Perkins winning in 96 yeah. from lane eight was just one of those events that I just remember clearly. The other and this is the one that really stood out for me <laughs> was the four way 100 freestyle at the 200, uh, at the 2000 Olympic games in Sydney. The Americans have never been beaten. The American men have never been beaten in this event <laughs> on paper. They're the clear favorites. Yeah. And you guys, the way you approach it, you go off first, break the world record. One of the greatest swims. I don't know. You can tell me what you think your greatest swims are, but I'm going to go share my, I, give, I can give myself goosebumps going back through this one because it was so special for us as Australians and, and fans and, and knowing you guys. And then you go off and it looks like the Americans are going to swim over you guys in, you know, the second and third. And then even on the, when yeah. Ian Thorpe goes fourth, and all of a sudden, um, Gary Hall Jr. has got like three quarters of a body length on him. And we're like, oh, yeah. it yeah, was fun. It was fun while minutes, it lasted. Too. And then he comes blasting over the top of him, breaks the world mm. record. And, uh, mate, I don't know. That, that's what I replied to when everybody was saying 2008, the Americans over the, the French. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> listeners, but 2000, the four by 100 men was the number one. What do you think? <laughs> What's your opinion well, on all that? Obviously, I'm, I'm going to be biased in this answer, but for me, it, it simplifies so much more than just that win because it was it was kind of what Australia's Australian athletes have always lived up to, where we we've, we've generally have been the underdog, and you know, majority of events where we're a smaller nation, and you know, we had always had a great rivalry with the Americans and. Um, but never quite sort of since maybe 56 and around that era when we had Murray Rose and mm. a couple of guys that, that, that could sort of tackle the Americans. We had never really been able to eclipse them, especially in relays. So look that, and the relay also had this little bit of uh, the, the drama that came along with it. Uh -huh. There was a, the stage was set with, you know, Gary sort of, all, I think he, you know, made a couple of comments in the, in a sports illustrated, um, article and and look he to be honest it was taken out of context because i've read it um, i'm good mates with gary and I've, <laughs> I, I've, I've spoken i've spoken about this to him on, on many of occasions actually and whenever we do interviews we have to set the story straight but um well let me clarify for the american listeners he said that uh, the, the australian team would be the hardest team to beat but then tongue-in-cheek because he's sponsored by Gibson guitars, he said, but I'm going to smash the Australian like my Gibson guitar. <laughs> so, um, so that was, that's kind of where it came from. And then obviously that was taken up by the Aussie media who love the, uh, the, they love that whole tall poppy syndrome, which is a bit of a shame. And, you know, it was front page of the paper. And while we were at the staging camp, it was everywhere. And look, going back to more to the actual event itself, like you said, on paper, we had, we had no chance to really, 
you know, to, to take it to them. And um, I was the highest ranked freestyler, ranked number three in the world at the time. And the Americans had all, all four swimmers in the top 10. And we, you know, we had Ian Thorpe who just won the 400 freestyle an hour before. <laughs> um, he was, in, you know, he, he wasn't that great at the trials. And, you know, we put our faith in him, hoping that he could pull something out. And Chris Feidler was, yeah. but that was his last. He was ever the old man. <laughs> exactly. And then Ashley Callis, who was a rookie, had never swum in an Olympic Games or a major yeah. competition before. So, and the only uh, way that we knew that we could tackle the Americans or even um, put them off their game is, you know, they like to dominate and they're great with, with starts and turns and, you know, and, and basically love to lead the whole way. So um, I, for, you know, I'd spent two years working on my starts and my underwater work and, um, and the only chance, and I, I didn't swim the heats and I felt really good that morning. And, so the coaches decided to rest me. So I was very fresh, very keen to get in the pool and, <laughs> and almost like I was bursting out of my skin. And, um, you know, I turned in 22.8 seconds, which my personal best for the 50 freestyle was 22.1. So it's literally going, you know, going at my personal best kind of time. And yeah, it was, it was one of those swims that really came together for, for me from a from a technical point of view, but also knowing that I had these, you know, I had my mates, you know, backing me up and if, if I can give them enough of a lead, we're, we're there in a, with a bit of a chance. So, um, yeah, I think it was, uh, yeah, it, it had the theatre, it had obviously um, in front of the home crowd, the stadium was rattling and shaking mm. and um, I've never seen a Sydney sort of, uh, the Sydney Aquatic Centre uh, <laughs> yeah. at that level before. So, um, yeah, it was, yeah, for me, it's, it's definitely a special moment, but it's, uh, it, you know, it's obviously the first night of the Olympic games, it really set up, uh, set up that game it for, set the tone, didn't for it? Australia. It really did yeah. set the tone. <laughs> when, when you think back, you know, do you have a, a fondest memory? Is there one that really sticks out or is it, is it a collective? What, what do you, what is it when you think back? Look, there's, there's two, there's two. one, one, obviously, uh, I remember when we, that night after the four by one freestyle relay, we, we went through the process of the drug test, went through the recovery process of massage and hot and colds. And, and then the press conference, which, you know, you can imagine that first night was Mm. huge. And we, we were walking into the dining room, which was around, I think was one 30 in the morning. And to our amazement, there was hundreds and hundreds of athletes that waited for us and gave us a standing ovation. So wow. um, to, to me, for me, you know, we, when we were there, there was four of us, there was obviously the support staff and walking into a almost the full dining hall and everyone standing and, and giving us a, a standing ovation. That's, that's for me, that stands out. Like, you know, I can, <laughs> I can mm. talk about that all day. Mm. Uh, it, it's just a special moment, you know, that everyone could have gone to bed and, and, uh, you know, you know, get, given us a pat on the back the next morning. But, um, and then the other one is as a, from an individual standpoint, I had a great world championships in 98 oh, yeah. coming back off a, off a really disappointing 96 where I w- went into the Olympics ranked number one in the world. And, qualified to uh, miss qualification for the final, but managed to really within 10 months completely turn my career around where 
I changed strokes. I changed the, <laughs> the way I swam. I started swimming underwater. I like just my whole mentality sort of flipped and, you know, I broke a world record within 10 months of, of that disappointment. And then, you know, became world champion, won four golds, two silver and a bronze and one, one world championship. So from a individual standpoint, that was probably my most memorable week because I just felt that even when I was getting tired, I still believed in my process, believed in the training that I had done. And I loved swimming outdoors. It was just a, it was a great environment. Um, and we were very fortunate that we had these major events in the lead up to Sydney, but yeah, so those those two, including the relays, would be uh, would be my my favourite. I, 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 you've nailed it. I think they're just phenomenal. The other thing that happened between '96 and '98, I think we met in '97. So I'm just saying, I'm not saying it wasn't. You know, no. you, you didn't do some good <laughs> yeah. work, but you did meet me that's during right. that time. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's definitely those words of wisdom. Oh yeah, you, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's awesome. Now, do you have? I mean, when you look back, I mean, you kind of mentioned there. You you know, 96 wasn't great. It, 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 was that your least fondest memory? And I don't mean to bring this up in a, making you dwell on that, but were there, was there a time in your career where you had to, where there were some pretty big struggles and you had to sort of learn and, and, and rebuild yourself? Yeah, well, definitely that, that, that first swim. I mean, you know, I, as you, when, you, when you're a swimmer, you walk into uh, any sort of swimming arena, they, 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 they call them psych sheets. So a psych sheet, it, they call it psych sheets because people get either get psyched up or they get psyched out, you know. And, <laughs> um, and the 200 freestyle was the first event on the first day, and my name was on the top of that list, you know. And uh-huh. um, and I don't know if I don't remember it's, it's so long ago if I if I was uh, psyched out, but I definitely um, you know it, it was disappointing for me not to be able to carry through from what I did at the trials to. Um, uh, to you know, to obviously you know come home with mm. even to get into the final. Yeah. Um, and but if that didn't happen, I wouldn't have gone through all those changes of with Gennady and yeah. and taking on the 150 races in the calendar year to to going to straight arm freestyle to working on my underwater kick to all those sort of things. So that was definitely a, a um a, probably a downer. And I do remember um you know, speaking to my parents immediately after that, that even the B final, you know, and I, I, my, my psyche changed even that night, you know, yeah. I said, okay, there's more, I've got more, I can give more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And then, um, and, and then the other one would be probably towards the end of my career. It's as an athlete. And I'm sure you can understand Greg, when, when you, when your heart is in it and mentally you really want to achieve something and you still have the drive and the passion, but your body is just Mm -hmm. not, Mm -hmm. not responding, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was, I got to a stage after the Commonwealth Games in Melbourne where I was still swimming reasonably well, but the world of swimming had progressed. And, you know, we had likes of Eamon Sullivan who started swimming really well and James Magnuson started coming through slowly and there was, there was some really good sprinters domestically and, um, and Andrew Lauderstein was the butterfly and I was, um, yeah, I was starting to just really, you know, I was getting frustrated because I was one getting injured two I couldn't, couldn't get out of my body what, you know, what I knew it was capable of. And so that was a bit of a, you know, even though I had a world championships on home soil in Melbourne, I swam in the four by one medley relay and managed to get the gold and that, which only swam the heats, but still, 
it was a it was a disappointment because I wanted you know to, for my swan song to be a, an, an and a better experience. So probably those two things stand out. Um, and I and people probably would expect for me to say that you know not winning the gold in, in Sydney in the hundred butterfly would be, but you know there is I don't think I could have done many things differently in that whole preparation. I've you know I've I gave I gave it all in every possible swim. You know, so the four by one, four by two. Mm-hmm. You know the hundred freestyle, everything. So unfortunately, I'm a very kind of reactive athlete. Where you know, neurally, I can you know fatigue quite quickly, and you know, so I can you know it can change very very quickly. And unfortunately, um, you know, the, the the piano fell probably a few meters too early, and um, <laughs> and last floor lander just got on the wall. 0.04 of a second in front of me. So that's uh, <laughs> the swimming is like dun dun. You're a world, you're an Olympic champion. You suck. It's like what? It was like point point one second. Yeah. Whatever. That's bullshit. I mean, but you know, looking yeah. at that, I, I mean, going through that 1996, mate. You, that is the catalyst for your career. It was like you. I want to dive into this a little bit in a yeah, moment. But definitely. the catalyst for the reinvention mm. of Michael Klim. It was like the the. You changed your stroke. You were the first person ever to do straight arm, and yet now, if you watch all, nearly, pr- pretty much every swimmer, sprint swimmer out there, they're all got the straight arm. You were yeah, one of yeah. the first to really, really go underwater and really use that Ooh. dolphin kick, probably better than anybody. So you, through that experience, it was like the greatest gift you could have had. Um, yeah. And then you had, I, I look at the Sydney. You know, I think the emotional highs of some of those relay experiences—they're going to take mm. your toll. Any great athlete knows yeah. that. You go high like that. There's always a, a yin yang effect. You're going to go high. There's going to be yeah. an equal down. It's like uh, I feel like then the final part of it is you just you get to your point as a professional athlete that someone's got to tap you on the shoulder and go, "You had your turn." You know, and, and my my brother put it <laughs> yeah. best for me once. He said, "Greg." All you do as a professional athlete is strive to get to the top of the world so you can rent being the best for a moment in time. You never own it. You just yeah. rent it. And it was like when he said that to me, I was like, you're right, you know, you get that moment. <laughs> That's like, so I know what yeah. you went through. Yeah, exactly. um, but those, that decade of swimming, you know, that you did has left a mark and an impression on, you know, so many people for so long. And those records stood for some of them. One of them stood for about six or eight years, didn't it? Which was a hundred meter butterfly yeah, world record. You yeah, had for that, a long that's time. right. Yeah. The hundred fly. Yeah. That was, um, you know, that was around yeah six years. And, um, you know, Michael Phelps and Ian Cooker and a few of those guys were chasing it. And, um, yeah, so I was able to, uh, keep them bay. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to lower it myself, but, um, yeah. So look, I, I, I think, yeah, I'm not going to repeat everything that you said, but I, I, I think I completely agree. If it wasn't for that experience in Atlanta, the you know, if it wasn't for the lessons that I actually implemented a plan afterwards, um, and and kind of changed as an athlete because you know initially mm. I wanted to be Alex Popov. I wanted to swim like him. Oh, yeah. I wanted yeah. to be like him. You yeah, know, yeah. I got to. I was ne- I was you know swimming alongside him for many years, but I realized that physically I'm not like him. Mentally, definitely not. You know, it, it was, I needed to sort of find a method or a, or a, or a practice that, that, that worked for me and rather than, you know, trying to emulate somebody else. So mm-hmm. it was, uh, it was definitely, and, and yeah, I, I do agree. I had my probably, and, and it's interesting, I don't know why, but, you know, people talk about my relay performances, you know, they're always the best splits that I've ever had compared to my individual events. And it's, 
Um, I, I used to love playing basketball as a kid and I used to love playing water polo and, and there was something about team sports that I really sort of, um, enjoyed and cherished. So, um, I think, yeah, the, the reason why I was lucky enough to win so many sort of medals and then world records with, in the, in the relays with the boys, it's, I think <laughs> was, uh, um, yeah, I think I, I just, yeah, it, it, it sort of gave me a, an extra kind of a boost when I had to stand up behind the blocks with, with my teammates. Yeah, well, I think, you know, even doing homework for this, I did read somewhere there and I mentioned it in the introduction that, you know, you've been talked about as one of the greatest relay team swimmers on the planet. I mean, that's in itself is a pretty cool <laughs> compliment. I can't remember where I read it. I, sh- I, I, I should yeah, quote it, but I'll, I did read I'll it. Probably, I'll probably write it somewhere. <laughs> I'll probably write it somewhere. <laughs> I wrote no, it, but... mate. I wrote it. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, do you look at swimmers now? I mean, how do you think you'd fare, you know, uh, with the way that it looks like, you know, with, with the Caleb Dressels and the Manadus of yeah. the world and, and Bruno Fratis, yeah. who I had in here? I mean, yes. with the different type of training, because it seems to me they, they train a little bit more specific yes then then probably you guys were still fairly high yardage yeah yeah do you think you would be competitive now or what do you think of today's swimming compared to well 20 years ago now yeah look it's always very hard to compare areas and especially yeah i was swimming as you know <laughs> with Gennady, i was swimming between 60 and 70 kilometers a week and my wow. race was 48, 48 seconds and, and, and it's 48 and 51 seconds. So it doesn't, didn't really make sense to me. And, um, or at the time, actually, I, I, I shouldn't say that at the time I'm so invested and, you know, we were working on a cellular level. We were trying to increase our aerobic capacity to then shift our anaerobic capacity to then ultimately mm-hmm. shift our, you know, your, your, your total output as well. So there was a, there was a method in our madness, but, um, and efficiency of movement, making sure that, you know, it, like for example, Alex swimming the 60, 70 Ks, he would take 24, 26 strokes per lap without fail. So if any, public swimmer out there would want to go in a 50 meter pool and try and do 24 (laughs) strokes um and then do that for six kilometers it's almost it's impossible so we were we were working on a different kind of um or or method and and i because of the way i was made up i i produced lactic acid really quickly so for me i didn't really always had to go into the red zone so I would, I would work on pace work and I would work on lactic, uh, lactic production and removal because I could, mm. I didn't have to do lactic tolerance all the time. So I would definitely be, I think that I would have to adapt these days compared to the way the guys are training. I think Eamon Sullivan was the first one to kind of shift that mentality in Australian swimming to, you know, to say, I don't need to swim more than 30 kilometers. I need to focus on specific segments of my race. And, you know, I need to do, you know, it's, it's more analytical than probably what we were. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, and I think that like the, the fifth stroke, which, you know, I, I sort of started working on, which is underwater, which, and, and skills itself. So the dive and, mm-hmm. and the underwater and the breakouts, that's what, that's the difference. And we, you know, you can, I mean, Bruno is, is one that's been working on that very hard to try and, you know, for, he's, he is the fastest swimmer out there, but because Dressel's start is so dominant at the moment, you know, he's, uh, you know, he, he's still lagging that, you know, a fraction of a second behind him. So 
I think, you know, because I was more of an athletic kind of swimmer, not really a, a technical swimmer, I think I probably would have been in, in, a, in a good place at the moment and against these guys. But um, it's very hard to compare, you know. Yeah, I, I miss yeah. the, the super suit era as well. I, I retired just before the super suits and then, um, so that would have been interesting to see with, with my stroke and kind of my aggressive kind of nature, the way I, I swam my races, you know, if I could have gone. It to, would have helped you with the yeah. back end, mate, because the one thing with Absolutely. you, you always <laughs> went, uh, you were just always bombing at that first 50, like even in the 200, it was like, boom. And it was like, okay, I guess you, you raced, you raced like a hard man. You raced from the front with no fear, a bit like the, yeah. the, the runner pre-Fontaine. Do you remember, have you yeah. ever, you know, yeah, absolutely. pre was absolutely. like, you know what, if the ra- I want to make this a tough race. And, and I'm sure yeah. your competitors knew that if they're lining up, the race is going to be on from the start. Um, yeah. And that's yeah. how you raced. <laughs> yeah. And look, and that was, that was one, that was definitely a, uh, just the mindset that I always had, you know, every yeah. time I got up on the blocks, I tried to, you know, like almost imagine in my mind, I was, you know, trying to break a world record and, and I was really going to go, go for it from the gun. And, um, sometimes it paid off and sometimes it really hurt. A few times that, it didn't. <laughs> that piano can feel was, very heavy. <laughs> I remember the trials, the trials for the Sydney games, actually, I was, uh, swimming next to Thorpe and, <clears throat> In the 200 freestyle and I think we turned in like 50 point at the 100 and then I was uh and and we we turned in like what uh, you know one one sixteen or something something crazy and uh and uh Ian obviously went on to win that but I was in front of Ian Thorpe at about 15 minutes to go and I'm thinking this is it's it's gonna come off it's gonna come off but then I literally <laughs> when you, if you <laughs> I must have started literally moving backwards because it was the long fifth <laughs> Longest 15 meters of my career, but uh, yeah, so it, it's it's a very fine line. You got to go fast, but not hard. <laughs> fast and not hard. I love that. <laughs> a quick mini break. I want to encourage you to go check out any question. Go to anyquestion.com forward slash Michael Klim. That's anyquestion.com forward slash Michael Klim, and you can go ask Michael any follow up questions to this podcast. Cheers. I want to shift gear a little bit because I think we, we've done a really great job of your career, career and, you know, congrats again. Thanks. I was asked recently on any question, the app, you know, how should an athlete think about retiring? And um, mm. this is, it's not easy, firstly. Um, right. And I did answer it, but I'm actually more curious on your answer. Um, yeah. And I guess just trying to understand what that transition out of swing was like for you. Um, mm. You know, you were mm. just to put it in context too for international listeners, not non Australians. Australian swimmers are like our football stars. You guys are our rock stars down in Australia. You, 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 you're pretty, you're pretty big deal, right? I mean, we we hold our swimmers to a very high standard, and uh, we love yeah. you guys. And and so my point in bringing that up is the transition is you guys were the rock stars, you know? And, um, so I just really curious as what that transition was, was like for you. Yeah, very good question. And, and I think in the, unfortunately, the only, the only difference is in, in, in Australia that swimming was very much an amateur sport and we had, we didn't really have the years of professional earnings to fall back on. So there was, um, you know, un- unlike, you know, you, you've got your professional footballers and even let's say 
AFL and, and rugby and some of the other sports. I think sometimes, um, you know, the difficulty is the where, you know, this, this end of an era happens for an athlete and, um, and a new one has to start. And I, and I looked at it and it's funny now looking back at it on reflection when you're a bit older and wiser, you know, when as just the average person changes career path probably or jobs you know, at least four times in their life, you know, and, um, and, and I kind of sort of looked at it in the same way. So that was just, that was my career until that point. And I had to create another sort of, not to say I want to completely change my identity and I'm never going to be the swimmer guy again, because you know, I'm very proud to talk about my experiences and my lessons and, you know, help, help the future of the sport, et cetera. But you also have to create a new one because it's, uh, you know, one with, you know, for me now being a father and a partner and a business owner, et cetera. So I think the, the, the issue that I have seen firsthand, unfortunately, is, is where, where athletes struggle with creating new identities mm-hmm. and, 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 and it's, and it's not to say you have to find the pa- some, a passion that you're equally as, you know, driven or involved in as you were in the sport, no, because it's no. very hard to, com- you can't even compare it. As you know, what we would spoke before offline that, you know, you train six, seven, eight hours a day with recovery and you literally, you know, it is a very selfish existence, but then in life after sport, uh, you know, not many people can exist like that. And, yeah. you know, so we, we're sort of, you know, there are, you know, all these variables that normally you didn't have to even worry about, like even posting a letter or something, you know, like every suddenly become, you know, reality and you have to, you have to go shopping for you, for yourself. You have, to, you've got family, you have to feed them. You have to, you know, there's all, there's all these kind of responsibilities that in, in life, in sport, and were never a concern. So, um, yeah, so for me, I was, I was fortunate that I had, you know, being Polish born, I had a very strong supportive family network. Um, my dad was, you know, helped me with some sort of investments in, in property and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And also I, I had a, I had management who sort of, I wasn't able to continue sort of, I guess my swimming brand, Michael claimed that to, uh, to, you know, continue sort of spreading the message and there was enough brands that, that I could identify with what I was doing because I, I still, you know, post-retirement for me, swimming, I didn't hate swimming. I loved it. You know, yeah. for me, swimming is still a big part of my life. I, you know, I swim more for meditative reasons than I swim for, you know, to clean my head. I swim for, for health and wellness. So it, it is, it is, it's a skill that I have and I'm going to use hopefully for the rest of my life. So I was able to communicate that to everybody. And then, you know, and I, I went through stresses with, you know, with work and also with health and, and family. I went through a divorce and all these things that the average person deals with. And so I think, um, I think because I had set up a few other sort of support structures and then used the tools that I had in my swimming career from, you know, finding the time, you know, finding a way to overcome stress or, you know, taking yourself out of a certain situation or communicating properly. I mean, I think, you know, as an athlete, you communicate with your coach. That's the, probably the most important communication channel that you ever have. And it's, you know, I think I, I learned so much through 
you know, through my sporting career, that it would have been a shame that a lot of people just completely forget about that previous life and want to start a new one. Whereas I, I tried to sort of, I guess, elaborate or, or you know, magnify what I, my, my learnings from sport and use them in life after that. Mm. So, um, so yeah, so I was, uh, you know, I was fortunate. I started a skincare brand that existed for um, 13 years. I recently just sort of, um, I, I, you know, I parted ways with the guys and they're taking it into, you know, we were in 16 different countries and, you know, and I was, you know, general manager for, for many years. But then, you know, I, I actually approached, approached it like, like I did my swimming career very aggressively and it took a toll on me <laughs> uh, f- physically. And I was spending a week in Bali, a week in Australia, flying back and forth, trying to be a parent and then try and be a business owner. And, you know, so I, I suffered some health issues and, um, and only re- recently realized that, again, another lesson to prioritize things. And COVID was, for me, a little bit of a blessing because it was a, almost a way where I could s- slow down and, and work out what is really important for me, you know. And self-care is something that I think athletes, because self-care for us when we're competing is comes so naturally <laughs> because, mm. you know, you're actually the, the, you know, the exercise, the recovery process, the mateship that you have, the group of people that you're with, those are, these are great self-care examples, you know, but when you remove yourself from that environment, a lot of those self-care kind of, you know, routines fall out, you know, mm-hmm. you know fall out of the way. Suddenly so, they become work, whereas before they were kind of easier. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and yeah, and, and so recently I've, you know, I've, I'm still, I'm probably more involved in health and wellness through you know, corporate channels and, you know, now started the Sim School here in Bali and, um, and a bit of a kind of a, a swimming community. And, um, so it's, it's, yeah. So I've, instead of doing, I still do a grind just slightly different. I don't probably answer 200 emails a day, but you know, I, I deal with close to 200 kids a day, which mm. is kind of fun <laughs> in a way. Yeah. My negotiation yeah. skills have actually improved <laughs> since I've been, <laughs> been trying to, trying to convince kids to do butterfly <laughs> than, uh, you know, getting biased to buy my products. So, yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so look, it, it is. And then, so in a long story short, I think it's that, transition and identity where you have to, you know, and, and, and I don't, these are all cliches, but they're cliches for a reason. I think the reinvention of, of one's person is, is the key. So, and, and, uh, I think, yeah, that's, that's for me, I was able to find things that still kind of gave me pleasure and, you know, I, I still devote time to the things that I enjoy, like going for an ocean swim or, going for a surf with my daughter and things that are, you know, from, you know, like, and it's not necessarily gratitude, but just enjoying the moment and being, you know, being present. Like you don't get those highs of standing on the podium in Sydney, but you know, the focus is a little bit different. So as long as your priorities and focus is in line with your identity, I think you'll be fine. Well, mate, it sounds like from that was fantastic, by the way, <laughs> because it's like you touched on just so many great points there. Um, you know, things like being grateful, uh, you know, for me, 
starting with uh, at a place of gratefulness whenever you're making a transition yeah. and i think especially for professional athletes it's like uh, yeah. yeah you know the way yeah. i answered on any question was like well look start with gratefulness you got to be a professional yeah. athlete you got to be an olympian or world champion you, yeah you got yeah. to have it. i heard your answer I oh you did <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and it was kind of like if you can start there yeah and i think you touched on another good point it's not to say you're going to find something that's a, where you have that passion again, but you've got to live your passion already. So you've ticked yeah, the box. Most yeah. people don't get to live their passion. You've you yeah. got to do it already. And I think so when you said those couple of things, I'm like nodding my head going, yeah, that, that's right, that's right. But it's not yeah, to say yeah. it's easy, um, I think, for some guys, because at the end of the day, finding that purpose mm. uh, for you it was you know you had a young family you had to provide mm. you had to you know, it was like I, I don't have time yeah, to sit yeah. around and be miserable or wonder what I'm doing yeah. for the rest of my life I got to get going here yeah and the other one you said you mentioned and I love this one um you know because I'm all about relationships and family and you know mm. you, you you've mentioned a couple of times your Polish background we kind of went straight over your your childhood in, in this episode mm. and um but you know mm-hmm. you, you came in and you have that strong support system um which is yeah, an enormous yeah. privilege it's an enormous privilege to know you've got the support of family absolutely and look there's been times definitely that that um and i don't necessarily always you know share those when i was down or struggling a little bit mentally you know i wouldn't necessarily share it with my family but somehow my mum would pick it up in my voice and then yeah. and then and then a, a day later would call me and say what's going on and i would go what do you mean? How do you know? So like it's, <laughs> you know, so it's, mums uh, know, yeah, mate. Mums know, mums, don't they? <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like yeah. You try to like they know when you're trying to get away with stuff too. So yeah, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So I think um, yeah, I was uh, yeah. I, it was initially it was also probably um, it it was tricky for me to even put up my hand and I, I never actually spoke to to a professional or a counsellor during my career, maybe towards the end when I was Mm. dealing with um, injuries and preparing for retirement. But I started, you know, I speak to, you know, a a counsellor regularly every, every couple of weeks and just to, to help me manage, you know, be more, you know, the most kind of, effective person that I can be because mm. it's, you know, the, there are so many variables that at times we fall back into old patterns or triggers, etc. Mm. So, um, I think that Von being able to say, okay, I need help for this or, you know, I need, I need someone to talk to. We're very fortunate. If you've got someone that you can express your feelings to, do it. <laughs> you've got to be out. You've got to be out of share, don't you? I mean, we, mm. we've heard people say, you know, you're a professional athlete. You must be super fit and healthy. <laughs> and, yeah. And yeah. we've yeah. both sort of been talking. Yeah. This, you know, for me, I retired when I was 44 from professional racing. You know, I beat my body yeah. up yeah. for 27 years as a professional athlete. You beat wow. yourselves out up for wow. at such an intense level because there's an intensity about what you did that is far, yeah. far yeah. superior to what I did. And you beat yourself up at such an intense level for such a long period of time. And mm. we were sort of talking pre-recording of, of you know how our bodies are now, um, and you mm. did you did lean into this a little earlier. So take us through you know how how's your body going now? Are you getting on top of your health, and and how's that all happening? Yeah, look, it, look, it is quite quite interesting because I even when I first started getting injuries in the pool, I was you know. I needed someone to tell me to get out and rest my shoulder. If I had a, if I had mm. a niggle 
I would swim through the niggle, you know, I would, you know, old school, mate, old school, mate, you never get out. (laughs) Yeah. You never get out. So I, it, it, it actually, you know, I could, I mean, I don't want to take you through all the, the, the history, but it was, was in 2001, I was, we were playing basketball in the AIS basketball hall, um, just for a bit of warm up and, you know, trying as you get, when you get a bunch of boys together, they're all (laughs) think they can, you know, they can play like the NBA and, I, I, I jumped up and tried to dunk and I, and, and I, I did a dunk and I fell down and I broke my ankle. And I was breaking that ankle in 2001 was actually the thing that, <laughs> that kind of well, like you used the word catalyst before. I think it was probably the first thing that broke the chain because I, mm. moved, I moved on to uh, then training on the Gold Coast with Dennis and it, it put my back out of whack and I started having back problems and I had a back operation. and then. After the back operation, I started having shoulder problems and had a, a you know two or three shoulder kind of uh, labrum reconstructions, etc. So, so that was that in, in that swimming career, which I struggled to get get over. But then, you know, after sport, after sport, I, I sort of went instead of um, letting my body kind of heal properly or you know or getting it in balance, I sort of went into adventure racing. I went into running. I went into ocean swimming, I, I sort of kept pushing. And, and I, I think there was, uh, I think, you know, we, I probably wasn't listening to my body again. And, uh, and it's, and recently, you know, my, my ankle, which, you know, I broke in 2001 was in such bad shape that I couldn't really walk. I, I had to have it fused about three years ago. Oh, um, okay. so, yeah. that, uh, so now I've got like a bit of a club foot and then, uh, you know, my, my back, continued to degenerate and um i started getting real bad sort of sciatica issues where you know had had the old they call it the foot drop or where you know you can't really sort of lift your toes properly and um so i had to have another back operation and um and on top of that i think you know if it's stress or if it's everything i i developed an autoimmune disorder called cidp which um, affects, you know, muscle uh, or nerve function and nerve movement and sensitivity. And so it, it, I think it's, you know, it, and there's no, no one knows how it happens, but I think it's definitely, you know, it made me more aware of how much more <laughs> careful and probably, Whoa, um, you know, caring, caring I should have been of my body because I only knew one way, you know, and I think, um, uh, yeah, I think we're more, we're probably more fragile than we, than we think we are. And, and I always thought that we're more resilient than we think we are. So, um, but, um, yeah, I'm dealing with, you know, I, I think the back and the, and the ankle, they're kind of under control. It's the autoimmune stuff that is, that is, uh, that's a constant kind of, um, I wouldn't say battle, but it's just a, just a management thing that I have to, to continue to stay on top of, but it's, yeah, it is kind of, uh, it is interesting that, you know, I'm kind of paying the price for the things that I did probably 20, you know, 20 years ago rather than yesterday. (laughs) It's amazing where sport's gone, isn't it? I mean, these days we talk sport and there's a whole health and wellness component to it. Mm. You know, I, I studied with a company called Hinsa Performance in Finland Mm. and Aki Hinsa was an amazing man. And um, a lot of his things that he, he, they work with all the Formula One drivers and the Formula One teams, Lewis Hamilton all the way through and, and the health and wellness component of it 
is next level. You know, it, yeah. it, it actually, they start with health and wellness and then get down to physical training later on. Whereas we yeah, had it flipped exactly. that we would bury ourselves and then maybe hop in a nice bath later on. And, and, yeah. and it was that kind of sport has changed a lot. Professional sport has changed significantly <laughs> from when you and I were, were burying ourselves. Um, and, and I look back yeah, and just absolutely. same as you, you know, I did a lot of stuff to my body. And, and you used to wear it like a badge of honor. I, I talk about, um, and this is probably too much for this show, but in the nineties, I, I urinated <laughs> blood several times, you know, and, yeah, and, it yeah. was, and, and, but you didn't, you wore it like, oh, if I'm, if I'm willing to piss blood, well then, you know, no one's going to beat me. And it's like, you idiot, yeah, you yeah, know, you idiot. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like, that is not yeah, smart, exactly. mate. So. Yeah. And, it, and then listening to your body as an athlete oh. is probably one, is one, you know, a really, you know, important kind of a quality because you're, you know, knowing when to pull back to, to push and, you know, I probably, you know, again, we, we probably could have <laughs> not to say that we didn't achieve enough, but, we, you know, I think it's, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a quality that's, that I think these days I can see, you know, even with the likes of Dressel or, or Bruno when, you know, cause I know Brett Hawke who coaches him yeah, very well. Yeah, like, yeah. I've been in the, you know, I've been on the in the conversations when Bruno's not quite feeling, the, and you had him on the show recently. You know, just literally adjusting things as you go along, rather than okay, this is our training plan. We're going to stick to it <laughs> no matter what. You know, yeah. and, it, and it, whereas now I, you know, I'm I'm lucky enough to have learned from some of the, you know, the likes of Brett, and I, I would, you know, I adjust my session as we go along. So we we start with something that's on the board. And, you know, I look at the swimmers after, say, warm-up, maybe the first set, and then we, we adjust it because it is, you know, that's how – I think that's where sport's heading, that is, you know, where, you know, communication and also being, being you know, almost in the moment rather than um, – it's not, it's not a game of survival, which, no. which, was, which was back then, you know, the likes of Laurie Lawrence and – Duncan Armstrong and those sort of things. That was just whoever survived won. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I, I had Brett Sutton as a coach and you know, you'd know Brian oh, Sutton. Yeah. So it's the same yeah. kind of mentality. We all went through yeah. that. And yeah. it really was that, you know, if you throw enough mud at the wall, some of it will stick. So let's just keep yeah. doing it. Yeah. I know. Yeah, exactly. But, mate, let, let, well, a couple of more questions just before I let you go. Um, sure, sure. These are just some fun ones. If you could sit with any three living people, who would it be and why? Probably <laughs> Jim Morrison, I love the Doors. <laughs> so, That's awesome. So, uh, he's such a uh, my son is the two things my, my son is actually into, and he does he does like to swim, but um, three things: basketball, tennis, and guitar. Right. So yeah. we 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 both uh, we we both love rock and roll. So we listen to to you know to 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 all different <laughs> different music so i think probably if we can say out of anyone so the say the doors jim morrison be one but um mj i would you know I'd, mm. I've, I've watched uh, i've watched obviously the you know the the, the last documentary which yeah what which was, was that called the last dance yeah yeah the last yeah, dance yeah. Look, i don't i don't yeah uh, um who else 
and I'll probably I have to say my partner, otherwise if she listens to this, <laughs> but, uh, I won't I won't get and, and I don't mention her. I won't get fed tonight. So uh, <laughs> Michelle, Michelle, you know, we always I do have amazing conversations. She's a she's a talker, and and it's funny because I'm not necessarily one. And it's funny when you meet someone that's the opposite to you, and it kind of you gets you to to do things that you're, <laughs> yes. you're slightly outside of your comfort zone and especially when it comes to emotions and things like that. So it's been a, it's, it's, it's been a really enjoyable oh, kind of uh, great, great. relationship. I'm glad to hear. So we, so I was there, Jim Morrison, Michael Jordan and, and Michelle, but listen, so we, we need to find one living one. <laughs> no, well, they live. No, no, that's fine. We're going to keep that. And then you did lean into the next question, which who do you think is the greatest athlete of all time? Oh look, who who watched Pipeline on the weekend? Oh, come on, come right? on. Kelly Slater. He's fifty next week or something. He's fifty next week. So I mean, well, look, actually, when this podcast was... comes out, I think he is fifty. But he he was a week shy yeah. of fifty, and he's winning Pipeline. I'm a fifty year old man, mate, and I can't, I can hardly squat. Yeah. I can, like, like <laughs> <laughs> getting in, getting in and out of this chair is hard enough, and the guy's winning Pipeline. I mean, but don't you think like it's interesting though, Greg? From like you can probably you know, you can probably look at it in a different way and explain to the listeners. Like it's an interesting era now. We've got, you know, Nadal, we've got Federer, we've got mm. Tom Brady, we got mm-hmm. even Tiger Woods now is playing. We've got Kelly Slater. We've got all these guys, Drew Brees. You've got all these athletes that are in their 40s um, and that are, or late 30s that are, you know, performing in, incredibly well. Well, it's so, like what we just talked about, the health and wellness. The health and wellness component. Yeah, Nicholas Santos is yeah. the... Uh, you know the butterfly from from Brazil. He keeps breaking records. He's a, he's thirty seven. So mm-hmm. um, you know. So there is. I think there is there is something about what you know that we've definitely found the key to longevity in, in sport compared to what you know. What well, I don't think we had it back then. You know, if you, occasionally you know we had one swimmer. Dara Torres from the yeah, American yeah, who, who managed yeah. to fire the, the odds a little bit and. Uh, but there wasn't really older swimmers, but now it's. Uh, I think it's definitely changing. No, I think I think you're right, and I think a lot of it is health and wellness, and obviously money yeah. and more awareness of things. <laughs> I actually found it for me. I actually I think I won Chicago triathlon, which was a pretty big one when I was 43, yeah. and that was my last big wow. big win. And or it was wow. 42, might have been 42, but I remember. 43, 44, just the edge started coming off 43, 44. Like that ability to run a 10K well, like I started running like a 31, 30. And that was still good running, but it was when you're up against Javier Gomez, I'd get a leader a minute on him on the bike and then he'd run me down. It was just an awful feeling to be running down. I'm like, and that's where my brother tapped me on the shoulder and said, you've had your turn, mate. And I was like, I really have had my turn. (laughs) I milked it. Anyone, like you still would have had the world record for a 10K run at 42, no? There's no one. There's no one that would uh, run yeah, for I, 40, I, 30, I, 31 minutes at the age of 42 nah, off a bike. I was incredibly <laughs> fortunate. My body held held in there for a while, and um, but you know when I see Kelly Slater. Um, or Tom Brady, who you mentioned, you know, forty-four winning Super Bowls, and I mean, yeah, yeah. these guys are just. It, it really is extraordinary. I mean, Kelly Slater yeah. is fifty. We're not talking. I mean, it's not even forties anymore. It's like, no. uh, anyway, mate, fantastic. Can I ask you, can I ask you a question? Because yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'm coaching a bunch of triathletes and I've got a few that are more towards Ironman level and some that are doing more Olympic sort of distance. What is the, 
if you had to give like you know i think they and they're not at at sort of you know any any great sort of world standard but they're obviously quite pretty serious and you know what would what advice would you give to those guys in in regards to say swimming compared to because they always you know i say for you like you just got to save your legs really it's just like get in a good rhythm, survive, you know, keep your legs high, trickle them, don't, you know, whatever. But like, it's, it's a really sort of, um, it's a different, it's a, it's a different tactic in compared to a pool swimmer. Yeah. What would you like an advice for some uh, triathlete in when it comes to uh, an effective swim tactic for a triathlete? Yeah. Well, I think, I think triathlete swimmers and you probably see it, their flexibility is always going to be a big, problem right generally yeah. because we're in a bike position for so long and we d- we can't get that great catch some triathletes can obviously but for a lot of triathletes that start swimming later and then they're on the bike a lot they they struggle to get that front end catch so i was i've always sort of been an advocate of it and a bit like you were talking about with pop-off don't try and be a mm-hmm. pop-off just mm. the strokes you can do you do do more of them so i was always a yeah. fairly high cadence swimmer and yeah. worked on yeah. my aerobic conditioning to hold that um yeah and then yeah. when it comes to like you said sort of saving the legs but using them just to find yourself good body position not so much yeah, trying exactly. to find any yeah. in, no triathlete's going to have amazing kick speed generally because our ankles get fairly locked from riding a bike in that you know mm, steady mm, position mm. and so yeah kicking it's useful tool for finding body position and then high yeah. high, high cadence um but yeah. then swimming even though it's only a 1500 meter or 10% of the race in a triathlon is actually spent in the swim, the aerobic conditioning Ooh. crosses over. Your heart and lungs don't know any different. You can really strengthen your heart and lungs using that time yeah. in the pool. And so doing yeah. the kind of work, good solid work in the in the pool will translate really well to the bike and run. And you don't want to be getting out of the water tired. You know, it, yeah. you, you want yeah. to feel like, okay, I can go smash the bike and run now. Like you, yeah, and, yeah. and if you're getting out of the water, you're like, oh, man, I'm exhausted. Well, then you haven't done enough work. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so um, I don't know if that sort of answered your question, but that's yeah, kind yeah, of how I, how I approach it with them. Yeah. What are, you, what are your thoughts on bringing it, doing a triathlon when it's a third of every discipline takes the same amount of time? Oh. I was always in. It should be that, saying, mate. It should be that. It should be that. I, that's, that's a true triathlon, yeah, right? You know, my wife, my wife, Laura, was like, she was an NCAA championship swimmer. She, she, she was a butterflyer. Yeah, she yeah. was a hundred and 200 flyer like you were in 96 97 uh she just missed out on worlds actually for uh perth in 98 i think she'd moved to triathlon in 97 but she um she she was always up against it with the bike being so long proportionally to the the swim and um i think look i think our sport has always been pretty good at coming up with new innovative ways you remember the grand prix we had in the 90s And, yes. and the night, and what was great about the Grand Prix, and now Chris McCormack's brought it back with the Super League, and they do that same. It's an international version of it. And what's great about that is they, they, when you have a three hundred swim meter swim to a six or seven k bike to a two k run, it actually those races do tend to lean towards the swimmers. You remember Brad Bevan yeah. of the nineties, and yeah, exactly. He was a machine yeah. in the pool and yeah. in, in the water. Yeah. And so the when you make it a super sprint, it actually does lean towards the swimmer a little bit more. Uh, it, well, let's yeah, just say that yeah. they're able to use their strengths a little bit. As you go, the longer you go in our sport, by the time you get to Ironman, yeah, I mean, it's a 3.8K swim. It's a long way, so you need to do the work. 
but in terms, if you're a professional or any athlete, you can lose 10 minutes there and make up 30 minutes on the bike. So, look, I yeah, exactly. I love our sport <laughs> and I, I think there's room for everybody. Um, for me, the ultimate, and I'm just going to say that because it's where I had the most success, was kind of non-drafting <laughs> Olympic distance, you know, and that's yeah, like 1,540 and 10, and that was always my yeah, thing. Yeah, I but. reckon. I think, that's, <laughs> I, think, I think that's the most fair. <laughs> yeah, but, mate, this yeah. has been I, – I got one more thing I want to share with you. Um, okay. My mum is on any question and yeah. <laughs> she asked the question, you know – and she asked it to many of the experts on there, you know, what was your favorite race and why? And, yeah. and you answered it. And I think you might've even said, Hey Sue or something. And, and yeah. I got a call from her one afternoon and, and she's like, Greg, Greg, I was on the app and Michael Klim, I answered my question. <laughs> it's like, he's, she's like, it, it's like getting a note from Dawn Fraser. This is so special. So I want you to know, I just got to let you know that you really made my mum's uh, day on that one. Uh, you know, I just want to say thanks, Sue. I appreciate it. I'm glad someone heard my my answer. So oh, I know really it's getting a lot. Mate. It's getting a lot. You, you, actually, everybody on the platform, it's been amazing. Um, look, w- w- what's next for you? Actually, I want one more question before we finish up. Yeah. I, I just want you've given so much advice already, um, but what's sort of one bit of advice that you can give to listeners now, just to optimize their lives? Mm, really good. I mean, that's a that's a very broad. <laughs> Broad question, <laughs> but uh, look, I, I, I look at it like as as a like a, a wheel of wellness, <laughs> and there, and we've got all these different dimensions of wellness, and I um and some we're really good at, and some we're not good at, and I think it's almost um for me I you know I I try and basically do the best I can and in in as many areas as I can, so and we're not always going to be as good in you know from from time to time or whatever so i i think it's you know making 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 sure you move every day is one (laughs) is my would probably for me movement is medicine you know like even now when i'm even not not 100 percent healthy it's um movement for me is medicine i feel better after getting up in the morning and doing a couple laps or even stretching in the sun or jumping on the bike or whatever. Um, I think movement is medicine. So having time for that, for that mindfulness practice and whatever it might be, if it's a surf or if it's a bike ride or if it's, or if it's meditation. So, um, and I think just, you know, I think there's, you know, different areas of, of wellness and mm. say knowledge and, and social wellness and et cetera. So I think, you know, identifying the ones that you're probably not so good at because it means you're probably been avoiding them. And, and trying to sort of spend a little bit more time in those areas. Like for me, uh, my emotional wellness wasn't great. And that's why we, I mentioned Michelle sort of mm. being, being able to, mm. <laughs> to, to uh, evoke and, and, and promote some of those things for me. So I think, yeah, identifying which areas you're, you're, you're probably weak at, but the things that you enjoy, you know, continue doing. Um, but for me, yeah, definitely movement. You know, I think moving your body every day is, is key. So love that. Uh, I think, uh, yeah. So th- I'm not sure if I answered that. No, that was that brilliant, mate. Correctly, but- no, I've got I've got the wheel in my head, and I'm trying to figure out where I'm where I where I could be doing better. At, and and, and I, I'm like you. I do 45 minutes of something every day, physical movement. Um, yeah. My my important. social has become this podcast once a week for the last two years. You know, it's like this yeah. is my 
adult conversation away from a two and a four yeah, year old. Yeah, it's yeah, just very yeah. therapeutic having a conversation. But honestly, yeah, mate, next yeah. time I, I we got to do it in person. That'd be great. We, we can have, I'd love that. have well, beers in a hammock and <laughs> you know, I'm very I'm very fortunate that I'm coming over to Florida for the I've been inducted to the Hall of Fame of swimming and the induction is happening in October. So oh, um, well, why are I'll we talking a- now? We should well we're gonna have to redo all of this. <laughs> we're gonna have to redo this in October in person. And, and is that in Fort Lauderdale then is it? Is that Fort it's Lauderdale? In Fort Lauderdale. Oh, mate, yeah it is. I'm only forty five so minutes up the road. So um we'll, we'll have to do a quick wrap up on uh, well, on on the night. Well huge congrats <laughs> on being inducted and, and very worthy. Thanks, um yeah, I love <laughs> that they're looking after you i think that's fantastic what, what what's next for you know the year what's next for you oh look i, I think for me I'm, i really uh just want to continue sort of developing this uh this swim kind of program that i've got here we've got a few national swimmers competing in southeast asian games and in asian games so um you know i'm sort of getting enjoying coaching the elite but um developing sort of uh the, the actual the grassroots of the sport as well good man um and i've recently uh also, I got involved in the in the World Series swims, which is um, mm-hmm. we've got open water swims around Australia. Um, we've, we're just about to have one in Noosa, which is uh, one of our most popular swims. We've got two and a half thousand swimmers, which is creeping up close to the uh, to the Peter Pub. So, um, but we've actually started. Um, we've got it's called Swim the Gold Coast, which is uh, the first kind of big marathon swim on the east coast of Australia. So. We swim from Kira all the way through to Surface Paradise. So it's a um, on the 28th of May. So I'll be uh, I'll be doing it in a team, but also uh, you know to have to actually come to fruition. We've had a obviously because of COVID, we've had a few delays and cancellations. Mm. And one year, it actually wasn't COVID; it was just the swell was too big. We didn't <laughs> want to put any. We didn't want to put any athletes in, in yeah. jeopardy. So, um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to. To, ra- to racing or swimming the uh, swim the Gold Coast as part of the uh, World Series swims, mate. That, you got a lot on your plate, mate, and I'm glad you're getting back to Australia <laughs> a couple of times. And, and I'm, I am looking forward to um, you know seeing you in in Fort Lauderdale. We will have to catch up then. That'll be fantastic. Be but mate, Should thank you so much for just your no time and, and just sharing all your journey and, and and just so much knowledge there too. It's just extraordinary. I really enjoyed this, buddy. So thank you. My pleasure. Thanks, Greg, mate. Yeah. Good, to, good to hear from you again. And uh, yeah, you will right. have to do it in person. All right. And <laughs> listeners, you can do uh, ask follow-up questions to Michael at anyquestion.com forward slash Michael Klim. Um, that's yes. anyquestion.com forward slash Michael Klim. Thanks, everybody, for listening. You can find all the show notes and timestamps and links at uh, bennettendurance.com forward slash media. Thanks a lot for listening. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.